you have a Bible with you today, find the book of Mark, Mark, and we're going to be in chapters 9 and 10, uh, start in chapter 9, and I could not be more excited to, today to just take a few minutes to study the Bible together. Today we are starting a three-week message series that we are simply calling it local, local, not loco, okay, that's a different thing, local, local, and we're asking the question, what does it look like for us as individual Christians and as a church family to build the kingdom of God locally? And when I say locally, what I'm talking about is, for the most part, right here, Sock Center, Melrose, Long Prairie, central Minnesota is, is specifically what we mean with this, but we could also expand this to the state of Minnesota and, and probably the entire United States. But we're looking and asking this question, what does this look like? And, and this right, he, right here is not the direction we're going to take the next three weeks, but I do want to start quickly by just talking about the local section of what we call kingdom builders. Now, if you've been around here for a few months, you've heard that phrase. We like to say that. We say kingdom builders. It is our way as a church family of funding the kingdom of God. And we do that globally, we do that locally, and we do that in the future generation. Uh, and, and when we say the future generation, we're talking about kids and teenagers. Back in the month of March... We had a month that we focused the entire month of March on what we called global. And we asked the questions, what is our responsibility as American Christians to the rest of the world? And we looked at that from a scriptural perspective, and we um, asked questions and answered questions and looked at all this stuff. We also, at that point, had a, um, we had a missionary come in, and we did a uh, a month-long financial push to fund a project in a country called Uzbekistan. Most of us had no idea where that was before that, uh, and supernatural stuff started to happen, and people, our, our church family in, the, in a few weeks gave over $50,000 to fund this project that, okay, overseas, and we're already seeing some of the incredible things that our that the money that we gave has been doing over there. We don't have time to talk too much about that, but it was a moment for us as a church. And when we talk about giving $50,000, this is given above and beyond what is given to our church, okay? Because when we talk money around here, we have money that's given to our church, and that is to help our church to pay the bills and to have pastors and pay pastors and all of that type of stuff. But then we also have finances and money that is given through our church. And that is what we really call kingdom builders, is we have an avenue for people to be generous if they want to, if they want to help build, build the kingdom of God globally. And we have projects and things we're doing if they want to do that locally, or if we want to do that in the future generation. We have strategic things that we have put in place to have all of that happen. Our goal for this year was to have our church family give above and beyond what's given to our church about like $200,000 to build the kingdom of God around the world. That was our goal. And some of us, when we said that goal in January, you were like, I had people calling me and saying, how in the stink are we going to do that? All right. Can I just tell you right now that we are, we have pretty much eclipsed 150 grand already in that. Okay. Yeah. And so that's great stuff. Okay. Now, I, I can unashamedly, like, I talk about kingdom builders and get excited about it because 
uh, churches and money, it's always kind of awkward, but kingdom builders for me, there is zero personal benefit to us as pastors, to the church really in any way. This is all through our church, globally, locally, and in the future generation. And so 100% of everything that's given in that direction goes outside of the walls of our church in that type of stuff. Okay, so, wow, that was a lot of an introduction. I didn't mean to go that far. But here's where we're going. We are talking about local, and we have a couple projects this month that we are just laying out there for everyone and saying, pray about this. Zero guilt, zero pressure, but if you are looking for a place to be generous and one of these things like grips your heart, then here's our spot to do that, okay? Four projects. Uh, Ushers, come and hand that stuff out right now, super quick. They're going to put something in your hand. I forgot those guys were back there. They're hiding in the shadows, uh, but that's okay. They, and they're going to do this super fast because we're efficient and have this planned out. And this is just going to have the projects for this really quick uh, in your hands, okay? And so uh, what we're doing again, just asking our church family to be praying about what God would have them do in this month to build the kingdom of God locally, locally, Sox Center, Melrose, and the surrounding areas. Okay, so you have one of those in your hands, or you will in the next 30 seconds, and so let me talk through those quick, because we've got to get to the Bible as well. First, project number one for us is this, okay, we are adding a new location of River of Life Church in the Belgrade, Bruton area, okay? Let me quickly explain. If you didn't know this, we are one church, but we actually have more than one location of our church. We have a location of our church in Long Prairie right now. They're going to be having service in 15 minutes. There's a pastor over there that speaks, that lives over there. He pastors that church, but we are actually together. All of our church finances are together. Uh, We meet together as a staff. We are one church, but we're more than one location. And we have started meeting in Bruton on Monday nights with a small group of people who live there uh, with the intention of eventually that becoming a full-fledged Sunday morning version of church that also happens in that place. A city that does not have anything like us in any sort of a way, 20, 25 minutes away from here. And we are planting a church right there. So project number one, if you are looking to give locally right now to something, we have a goal of about $20,000 for that. That is a huge, that sounds like a massive amount, but we are looking. We need We need some equipment, we have some facility needs, and eventually we would like to to hire a full-time pastor to live there and to be the pastor of that church, working with us and all of that type of stuff. And so we're kind of starting the process of actually just asking for people to consider that. And so maybe that right now excites you and you can be praying about, do I want to give towards that? We already had about have... Like we start talking about this, we already have about $2,500 that have come up, come in in the last month towards that, um, just between two, two families who are saying, I'm excited about Bruton. Let's do that. That's project number one, okay? Um, also, as a part of this, we have an opportunity to invest in the next generation as a part, first, first through this event that we call MYC. Corey talked about this. As you saw when he talked about this, we are looking to send a bunch of what we call unchurched kids to this teenage event. 
And how we're doing that is instead of charging, the cost per kid is actually $180 for anyone who really goes to this. And we, and we have raised some funds and have some funds. We brought the cost down to $150 for our church kids. But we want to send non-church kids kids who don't go to our church, friends of our kids, we want to send them to this event for 50 bucks total. And so we are looking for people to invest in the next generation, to invest locally in the students that we have here, to scholarship some of our kids who have a hard time paying for that, okay? Because that's a reality too, and we do that like crazy, but also just to invest so that our, our kids can go to their friends and say, hey, we got this cool event over MEA weekend. I know you don't really like church stuff, but it's going to be cool, and there's going to be girls there, and you should come. And then we tricked them. We tricked them because there's girls there, and then they come, and they experience Jesus and everything, okay? Uh, I sh- that was not planned on me saying that. I'm not going to say that second service, okay? Okay, thanks. Help me with that. All right, but maybe, so our, our, our goal for that is that we have $3,000 to work with that, okay? And, and so that maybe that grips you, and you're saying, I want to help send kids to this event. Okay, third, the third, we are bringing a school assembly to the Sock Center High School in junior high. And this was so cool. We went to the high school principal, the elementary school principal, and we sat down with them. We have great relationships with, our, with, uh, with uh, the faculty there. And we said, we want to bring in a school assembly for you guys, and we want to figure this out. And they said, pick a day. Like, they were like, let's do this. And so we have brought this group in that's coming. It's actually like the first week or second week of October. And we have a school assembly happening in Sox Center, actually Osakis as well. And we're tr- still working on Long Prairie, but I don't know if that one's going to work out. It was a little more complicated. Okay. Uh, but we went to the school and we were going to pay for this thing. And it's like $4,000. And the school said, hey, we'll, we want to pay for half. And we're like, all right, so we are, we are splitting the cost with the school. What this looks like is we have a program that comes in. They, they speak to the students on topics of bullying, self-esteem, and uh, some of those types of things, making choices and the impact of our choices. And that's the school part. In the evening, though, we have the ability to do a full-fledged rally, is what we call it, where the same speakers come back on that evening and give a full, massive presentation of the gospel of Jesus. And we can unashamedly invite the students to come to that. In the middle of the, the day one in the school, we can say, you guys can come to this rally, and we feel like we're going to have a hun- number of hundreds of students that come to this event and are going to be able to hear the present, a presentation of the gospel. And so, isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah, that's good stuff. Okay? But we're, looking, but we're looking to fund some of this. It's, it's about, it's a little over $2,000 for the Sunday thing. We also have some, or for the morning part with the school, we also have some other things and other costs that go with that. And so we're looking at about five, is, is that wrong? Three. Okay, three. I don't know who did this, but whoever did this is, is where you put it? It was me. All right. I don't even know. Okay. is actually, the the sheet that you have is accurate, this, who knows what's happening behind me, because I did that, okay, and then the final project, and and I know this is taking a long time, but this is so, this is so massive to our local, our local stuff is this stuff, Uh, and then the fourth thing is just this event called We Love Our City, Uh, the truth is, we are gathering together with, with partnering with all the churches in town, but this was, but 
But this was our baby. This was our thing. And we're, and we're paying for it. And so the other churches are providing volunteers and doing some different things, but this is something we wanted to fund. Free meals for our city for a four-hour period and a drop-off location for our school. We loved this, and it cost us some money. And so all of that to just say, if any of this stuff just grips your heart and maybe you're at a spot where you're like looking for some place to just to be generous towards with what God has blessed you with, we have goals, we have needs, we have stuff no guilt, no shame, no pressure or anything. The ask is for us to be praying about this. Um, I didn't even talk to my wife, but I already gave some. I just wanted you to know that. Okay. All right. We'll talk about it later. Uh, and <laughs> we have kind of a, we have a goal as a family and a budget this year for a, above and beyond giving. And so this is just a part of that stuff for us. We're excited about it. Okay. On your little sheet, here's how you give. And this will be probably the next three weeks that we just kind of reference this. On the little thing, there's a QR code if you want to scan it with your phone. That's how you would give online to each of those specific things. Otherwise, you can give old-fashioned way too. Grab an envelope and you can write, you can write exactly what you want this to go towards if you would like to. Um, you can take a check and just write it on the memo line or something like that. Put it in the offering box or whatever else over the next few weeks. If you're watching online, you need to go click the Give button on our website and then you can drop down, there's a thing, and you can select what you want to give to, and you can figure that out, okay? All right. I just talked like that guy from the Micro Machine commercials from 40 years ago. Seven of us know what that is. That's all right. He talked real fast. Will you stand with me all over this place, and let's just take a moment and pray together before we quickly just get to the Word of God. God, we, we just take a deep breath and we welcome you into this place. We welcome you into this moment, oh God. Uh, we pray that significant things would come as we just quickly look to your word. And I pray that you'd help me. God, I don't, I don't want any of this really to just be my thoughts and my ideas. I, we really do desire to hear from you today. So we just pray for that, and we thank you for that in your name, we pray. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, here we go. Back to the question, what does it look like for us to build the kingdom of God from a local perspective? What does that look like? Uh, that's the question right here, central Minnesota, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. It's the question we're asking, and over the next number of weeks here, we're going to ask it over and over again, and we're going to, we're going to look to the Bible to provide some of the main answers uh, to answer this question. And to be honest, as I was even putting this together this week, this stuff isn't anything new. Like, you're probably not going to hear this today and think to yourself, wow, I have never heard that before. That guy is really amazing. You're not going to think that today. What you, you know, but as I was putting this together today what, uh, for this week, I, I kind of was filled with this sense of I needed that as a reminder. And I think that's a little bit of what this is going to be. So I just want to ask you to go into these moments humbly, hungry, uh, just with this open, open attitude. And understand, there, are, there is really two sides to this question right here, be, because Christianity is both an individual thing, we talk about this personal relationship with God, but Christianity is also a very corporate 
thing. We have this personal relationship with God. We accept him as, a per, as our personal savior. But there's this together part of all of this, coming together for the good of all, coming together to, to, to reach out and accomplish his mission and all of that type of stuff. People say this to, to us sometimes. I can be a Christian without going to church. And I'd say, I don't think you can. I, I really don't think you can, because biblically there is just a together part of all of this that you are missing. There's a together part. So we're going to focus on uh, specific things. We're going to look at them from the perspective of individual Christians and also from the corporate church family together type of way. And to set this up today, uh, and, and this is going to come together very quickly because I already took a whole bunch of time talking about some other stuff, but to set this up, I want us to look to history, specifically Christian history. There is an incredible story that has survived antiquities of a man named St. Pacomius, uh, and uh, he's also been called in church history Pacomius the great. Let me tell you his story really quickly because this sets this up in an incredible way. When this man was 20 years old, he lived in Egypt. His family, his parents, not Christians. This is the late 200s AD or into the early 300s. Uh, as a 20-year-old, the Roman government came in and took everybody around his age and forced them to be in the military. That's just what they did. They were basically drafted against their will. And because the Romans knew that these men would escape and leave uh, as soon as possible, this is going to sound crazy, but they actually would take these, these 20-something-year-old kids and they would put them in a sort of a locked prison until their military service was done so that they would not leave. Well, while, while he was in prison with a whole bunch of other people, this famine just ripped through this, this entire part of the world, and all of these men who had been drafted into the army kind of began to starve. Well, while he was in prison, he goes on to tell the story that strangers began to show up in the afternoons and in the evenings, and they would begin to slip food between the bars of this stuff and under the door and different things. And day after day after day, all of these uh, college-age type of people in this, like they survived this horrible situation because of the generosity of complete strangers. Well, this man, Pacomius the Great, began to ask questions. He He was asking the question, who are these people? Who is it that keeps bringing us food and literally saving our lives? Well, he asks around and he begins to find out that they are a part of this new cult in the Roman Empire called Christians. That's cool, huh? And when his time for the Roman army finally comes to an end, he himself converts to Christianity, gets baptized, and and becomes a leader in that area in the Christian faith, goes on to do incredible things, which is why they call him Pacomius the Great or even Saint Pacomius. But understand this, and here's just where we're going with this entire thing. It's not because of the theology of these Christians. It was not because of the teaching that they were doing or anything like this. It was this extraordinary generosity that captured his attention and eventually captured his heart. Okay, long story, getting a little bit longer here. In 313 AD, a Roman emperor named Constantine finally legalized 
Christianity. In fact, he legalized all religion in the Roman Empire. By that time, Christianity had such a massive foothold, like it had grown like crazy. But 25 years later, this dude named Constantine, Roman Empire emperor, dies, and an emperor named Julian take pla- uh, takes power. And when you hear and you think about the, the past and Christians being burned at the stake, Christians being fed to lions, and you hear about the persecution that you hear about in the Roman Empire, Emperor Julian was the dude who started all of that. And Emperor Julian decides to return the Roman Empire to full-fledged paganism is the word. He begins to fund the construction of the Greek and Roman temples, puts all of that back, outlaws Christianity, but it fails miserably for him. And there is a letter that survived from the fourth century from Emperor Julian to a group of pagan priests. And in this letter, he complains about these Christians and he writes this. This is just a little part of the letter. He writes, the, the impious Galileans, the Galileans are what he called the Christians, the followers of Jesus, they support not only their own poor, but ours as well. And he goes on to complain and he says, how in the world are we going to get our religions going when the Christians do more for our own people than we do, is what he writes. And listen to me, Jesus modeled this, Jesus taught this, and when we as Christians begin to do this, it is noticed by the world around us. What is this? It's when Christians begin to do things that are selfless. When we do things that are selfless, of course, Jesus modeled this in the most extreme way possible as he selflessly dies on the cross. We talked about this even as we took communion, but we also see this all throughout the things that he said, the things that he taught while he was alive. Let me quickly show you two of them. Uh, it's going to be Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, back-to-back stories actually in our Bible. Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bible, find 9 and verse 33 is we're going to get to quickly. But Mark chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples are traveling by foot uh, in these small communities in northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. Okay? He, they're walking from one little village to the next all together, and they finally arrive at one. And let me read you a few verses. This is Mark 9, 33. It says this, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Okay, this is a weird story for me. Jesus and the twelve disciples they arrive at this place. Jesus, they sit down in this house, and he asks them this question, so what were you guys talking about while we were walking? What were you guys talking about? And if you haven't figured it out, this is a loaded question. Jesus already knows the answer to this entire thing. It's a trick. It's a trap, okay? Uh, well, the disciples have been, were, they were having an argument of some sort about which one of them was actually the greatest, I have no idea what this would have looked like. I don't know what they would have been saying. 
I don't know what they're, you know, what, where this comes from. This feels like the strangest thing ever, but I suppose boys will be boys. I don't know. And the, the women are like, I understand what is happening here. You get those men together and this is what they do. Yeah, okay. But just seriously, I don't know what this would have looked like. And what were they arguing on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest? Who was the greatest? And then Jesus calls, like, calls him out, and then he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of them all. And I know that just sounds like something that Jesus would say, and as Christians, we can just kind of blow past that and think, like, isn't he wonderful? He's got, he says the greatest things. But think about this for a second. Like, you want to be first? You got to be last. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, and you must be the servant of, now if I want to be first, it makes more sense that, that I would be first, not last. Like, what, what a weird thing for him to say. Okay, a chapter later, this is now Mark chapter 10, two of the disciples, James and John, brothers, they come up to Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, it's like a secret little thing. They're on the road and they sneak up to him and the disciples are all hanging out and they're like, hey Jesus, uh, can we ask you a favor? And Jesus is like, Okay, go ahead, you know. And they say this. They say, when you sit on your glorious throne, can we sit there with you, one of us on the right and one of us on the left? And all the other disciples hear about this, and they start freaking out. And they're like, you know, and I can imagine the tension that's happening here. They get crazy angry. And so Jesus then calls them all together. This is right after the, the who's the greatest fight and all this stuff. And now we have this immediately after this. Jesus calls them all together. And here's what he says. This is Mark 10, 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The, this was originally written in Greek, and we have an English translation. And one of my favorite Greek words is this word that we have translated in English as the word great. It's the word megas, M-E-G-A-S, megas. That sounds like an awesome word, and it is an awesome word. In Greek, in fact, in, in the studying of the Bible stuff, I have never seen a Greek word that is translated in more ways into English than the word megas. What I mean is there's like a million English words for this one Greek word right here. This is the word they use not only for great, but it's also the word they use for loud. Okay? It's also the word for like leader. Uh, it also can mean the top or big huge, like this, this word in Greek is used for all of these types of things. Whoever wants to be great, whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be biggest, loudest, best, whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. The word first here is kind of mirroring the word great uh, the word slave here is mirroring the word servant. So Jesus has basically said the same thing kind of two different ways in the same sentence using different words. A servant is someone who waits on or attends to the needs of others. You know this stuff, okay? But a slave is someone whose entire livelihood and purpose is determined by their master. 
Okay, so hear that and hear those words. Uh, And then we get to verse number 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, uh, the disciples do not understand they, they think Jesus is, is heading to a, an earthly throne and an earthly kingdom. And Jesus is like, I didn't come here to, to, to be served. I came here to give my life as a ransom for many. You want to be first. You must be last. You want to be great. You must be a servant. Like, like we see this in the life of Jesus. We hear this in his teaching. We see this in church history. In fact, in the first and second century, there's all sorts of Christian examples, by the way, of this in history. First and second century, horrible plagues ravaged that part of the world. Uh, scholars think that somewhere between a third and a fourth of the entire world's population died from these, these plagues that just gripped through in the first and second century. People would, you can read about this, it's sickening. People would bring their sick family members out into the street and let them die. Sounds horrible, but they were trying to avoid their entire family getting sick and everybody dying. So they would bring their family members out and leave them just to die. Thousands of people fled the big cities and moved in the country away from people. But history tells the story of these crazy Christians who stayed when everyone else fled and who would feed and nurse the sick in the streets and in the homes, risking their own physical lives. This is our roots. This is our history. And listen, listen, write this down if you're taking notes. You are never more like Jesus than when you are selfless. When you are selfless. And if the question for us that we're asking is, what does it look like for us to build the kingdom of God right here and right now, then the answer really starts with the very teaching and the very life of Jesus. And listen to me here, this is more, this is more than just serving. It's more than just serving. Serving is great and serving is a part of that. Jesus even uses that phrase, you must be the servant of all. But we can serve with the wrong motivation. Serving can actually be selfish in nature. As we serve to make ourselves feel good, as we serve to make ourselves look good, this is not just about serving. To be like Jesus is actually just not to serve. To be like Jesus is to be selfless. There's a difference in that. And so for me, that it like leaves me with this reflective question, what does it look like for me to take a step in the direction of selfless living, selfless living, and understand, like, at the very root of who we are, we are self-centered in nature. We are selfish in nature. We are, look out for number one first. It's the way that we think naturally. Just, just, like, go talk to a little two or three-year-old, and ask if you can borrow one of their toys and see how that goes for you, okay? Like, just think about this. We grow up, we grow up just selfish in nature. And part of moving our lives, sanctification is the big fancy church word, but it's the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. The closer we get to like Jesus, 
the less we are about me. Because Jesus, in every part of who he was and what he did, was selfless. Was selfless. So what does it look like for us to serve selflessly? What does it look like to treat people in that way and to think about and view the world in that in that, in that avenue, like at your workplace, what does that look like? To serve selflessly, to think of people in that way, in your family, what, is that, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to take a step and to move in that direction? Students, like when you're at school, what, what does it look like for you to, to not spend all your time worrying about fitting in and worrying about having friends and what people think and all, what does it look like for us to live selflessly, focused on serving and helping the students and the people around us? Music team, will you please come? Please stand with me all over this place. I really struggled with where to take the end of this today because part of me just kind of felt like if I just throw this out there as selfless and let's move in that direction that, that we all nod our head but we walk out this place today not really with anything different. And... I was trying to work hard at figuring out how to come up with a list of do this and do this. And, and, I, and I just came back to this idea of like, this is, it's not about doing nice things for people. That that's, not, that's not what this is. It's not what gripped the heart of these early people. It's not what led to the spread of Christianity in the first and second and third century. It wasn't Christians just doing nice things. It was Christians doing things selflessly. And that's what was shocking. Because it is not shocking for someone to mow your neighbor's lawn or rake their leaves or come over and give them cookies. Those are great things. Those are nice things. Those are, do that stuff too, by the way. Okay, if you need a place to mow lawn and bring cookies, I can give you a place as well. All right, but, but sincerely, it is so much deeper than this. It is this, it is this baseline rooted way that we view our lives and God for me this week is just asking me and challenging me to take a look at things and to pray and ask God to help me and say Jesus what does this look like for me to take a step in that direction because everywhere around me and everything I do like this selfish nature is leaking and oozing out and it's like even when I begin to think this way, it, it, it's like it leaks sometimes. And so it's not even something that we ever truly just grasp and, we're, and one day we wake up and we're like, I did it. I'm totally selfless. It doesn't work like that. It is, it is something that oozes out of us every day, all the time, and it is a constant battle to come back and say, Jesus, I wanna live like you lived. I wanna think like you thought. I want to treat people the way that you would have me treat people. 
I want to be selfless and help me move in that direction today, God. In a moment, the band's just going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing together for just a minute. Um, just a time of reflection, a time of prayer. Just understand, every moment, every day, we are pulled in the opposite direction of this right here. Which is why the average Christian in our country doesn't look a whole lot different than anybody else around them. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us, God, with something that is so unnatural. Help us, God, with the materialistic view and temptation that is there all the time. Help us to figure out the balance, God, of, of, of what that looks like. God, we don't want this world and the temptations and all of this to have our hearts. And God, I pray that as we even hear your word, as we respond in this moment, I pray that this would be the start for some of us on a journey that completely changes things for us. As we begin to reprioritize things in our lives and as we begin to look in your direction, as we begin to become more like you every single day, let that be the journey that we are on, God, as individuals and as Christians, personally, that let that happen, but God, also as a church family, that we would corporately begin to ask the question, what does it look like for us as a church to be selfless? What does it look like for us to serve, not, not with an agenda, not with things in our mind, not trying to have a transaction, I'm gonna do this for you if you do this for me, God, but truly selfless living would just overflow out of our church family and we would begin to see the local area, the local region around us transformed, not even because of our theology and our preaching and all of that, but that our lives would cause people to say, who is that and what are they doing? Because that is so different. And I pray that it would transform the people around us. And God, I also just pray for those in this place who maybe have never responded to your message your message of grace and mercy and love where you died on the cross for our sins, God. For someone in this place who has been super religious maybe in the past, but it has never become this personal thing where they are gripped by you and what you have done. I pray, God, that, that even in this moment something would change. And you know what? If that's you here today, Maybe you're here and you have never responded to the message of Jesus on your own. We're talking about this personal, beautiful relationship with your creator, the God who created you for that, but our sin has messed that up and separated us from God. It's why he sent Jesus to die, to die for you so that you could be forgiven and you could be free and we're left with this beautiful choice do I say yes to God or do I just go off and do my own thing? And if you're here right now and you, and you for the first time just need to say yes to God, you can begin to pray to him in this moment. You can say, God, forgive me. God, I need you. God, change my life. 
I give you my life. You can begin to pray that for, to him even in this moment. And so, God, we just pray for those that need that today, that they would respond to you in this moment, that they would pray and that they would feel you so close. I pray, God, that you would forgive people and that your grace and your mercy would show in somebody's life even in this moment right here. God, we thank you for all of that. In your name we pray.